Hey Phil. Hello Laurie. Hello listeners, welcome to episode 39 of season 2 of what is still currently Super Belly Bros in Movie Land. Thanks so much uh, to listeners who've been in touch recently because at the beginning of last week's show, and I might try and put this in a few shows in case people are catching up or missed one out, you know, all that sort of stuff. A little bit of a delay tactic. Exactly. We discussed the idea of maybe rebranding the show and well Phil I feel like we should read out a couple of instant responses we got to last week's we had two although now one of them Phil I can't find on Twitter so the person who said it might be wishing to remain anonymous but they said I don't like change oh right okay yeah what do you any thoughts on that immediately is that what both of them said no No, that's what one person said don't like change uh change is inevitable life is changing can you step in the same river twice whoa (laughs) wow let me just take a second all right Thanks, Phil. Uh, and then Stephen got in touch and said, at Super Bailey Bros, it's your brand. Don't destroy it. It's not destroying it. It's more sort of consolidating it and making it stronger and more refined. You know, it's like when the Facebook became Facebook. That's true. It was the Facebook, wasn't it? Mm, and it's, it's making it better. So if you notice, we're not trying to rebrand it, really. We're just pushing the brand in a different direction yeah. but keeping hold of the, the heart of it which is movie land and I think you know I think people won't like it when I say this kind of thing but it is true and I can't help but think about it I mean listeners this is slightly coming from me because occasionally when I meet radio presenters and I'm about to go on the air they'll ask me what's your show again and super Bailey bros the what and <laughs> you can see bros. in their face they think what is this why is this guy here <laughs> and I kind of think it might be a good opportunity for Phil and I to raise ourselves, elevate ourselves to the level of film commentators, you know. That, With the uh, Movie Land the podcast with Laurie and can Phil. Call on, get Laurie and Phil on this one, yeah. Let's, let's hear what those two woody guys have got to say. <laughs> that kind of thing. And, you know, you never know if we do change it to Movie Land with Laurie and Phil. Laurie and Phil could become like a thing. Oh, just imagine. Just step into that imaginary box and just picture the dream. How and we could that? still be Super Baby Bros in our hearts, couldn't we? Yeah, well, we always will be. But, you know, anyway, this is still an open consultation, so keep your thoughts coming in. This is all by the by, isn't it? Phil, what films are we reviewing this week? This week, I'm going to be reviewing It. This is the film version of Stephen King's famous novel. It was adapted into a TV series, but here it is. It's causing absolute mayhem in the box office. It's become possibly one of the biggest R-rated films ever in America. over 100 million already? Something crazy like that. It's been super popular. I went to see it, and I'm not a horror fan, listeners, but I thought I had to go see this one for the sake of listeners and film fans everywhere. I know you're a braver man than I, Phil, certainly. I was properly wimping out at the beginning of the film, I have to say. But anyway, Laurie, what have you seen this week? I went to see Wind River, which is a Taylor Sheridan written and directed film starring Jeremy Renner and Elizabeth Olsen set in the Wind River Reserve, which is a Native American uh, reservation. I think that's what it's called. Who's Taylor Sheridan? Taylor Sheridan wrote Sicario and also the script for Hell or High Water. And this is his first directorial effort, I think. Also an actor turned up in police procedurals we can come on to all that later we're also going to be doing some what we've been watching just two films this time what's your film this week laurie it's called fearless or jet leaves fearless Ooh, and i'm going to be doing yep. eastern promises vigo mortensen aragorn <laughs> yes right i bet he doesn't he didn't come back to the hobbit for that reason i think ah. uh and we've also got some movie news i mean if you've been scanning the headlines this this is hot news phil as we're recording oh, this, oh, it's this it really is it. on tuesday oh, yeah. breaking you might say we'll come to that after maybe your review phil of it mm. we'll wait and see 
And we've also got a little discussion topic from you this week, Phil. Just a little thought, uh, not quite the high level of Laurie's. Have you got a little thought as well, Laurie? You mean my thought for the episode? Like yeah, Laurie's Corner, thing. whatever. And we haven't had any feedback on my last one about the dinosaur soup yet. Um, <laughs> probably that tells you something, doesn't it? Uh, well, let's try it again this week. I can give you a really quick one, Phil. Okay. Well, Phil, hold your horses for this one because this may disturb you the way that it disturbed me. What's this? It's the sort of thing that slides past you and you don't think about it. And so you accept it as part of everyday life until you're forced to confront it, maybe by a stray thought or by someone else, i.e. me in this thought for the day. The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles logo, look at it. The word turtles is spelt out in green muscle. Muscle in the shape of a T, muscle in the shape of a U, and an R and a T and an L and an E and an S. It's muscle, man. And I think when you stop and think about that, how did they create that logo? What with arms and stuff? Well, have a look at it and get creeped out. It is the grimmest, <laughs> weirdest logo I think I've ever seen. Google the uh, Teenage Mutant. Actually, you could tweet it, couldn't you? Tweet the little yeah. logo. Who thought that up? Who thought that was a good idea? <laughs> Muscle letters. It's like, it's, what is going on? There? It's like they've been growing in a lab. It's horrible. Ugh. Anyway, there you go. That's my thought for the day. Green beef. Yes, precisely so. Well, on that edifying note, let's begin the show, shall we, Phil? Laurie, do you want to tell the listeners quickly how many bonuses you blew through? I think that was three or four. One of them was because I was being insensitive about glaucoma without realising it. One of them was just boring. I don't know, Phil. It's just just a terrible episode in my life. Let's move swiftly on. (laughs) Okay, let's start the podcast. Thank you very much to those on Patreon who've been supporting us. Patreon.com forward slash Bros. You're a legend. Thanks. And send us emails and tweets, superbellybros at gmail.com at superbellybros on Twitter. Let's go. Oh boy, that was such a funny intro. <laughs> Ten minutes long, mate. <laughs> Laurie, tell me what you know about it. What do you know about the actual it? I don't know very much. I know it's Stephen King. I know it's about a creepy clown. I always assumed, and I've seen, you know, the iconic image of red balloons coming out of street grates, or, you know, sewers, that kind of thing. Uh, Phil, I've got almost no interest in it. I expect the clown to be a murdering psychopath and it to be terrifying. That's do you have any it. any kind of awareness of what it looks like? Yes, I do. And I mean, there's been a lot of photos around, so I think even people who hate the concept probably have a vague idea as well. He's got those sort of horrifying tear lines. Did you know I once dressed up as a sad clown, Phil? I know. Not, I was, on my own terms. <laughs> I was there in you that school assembly when got you picked. got picked by right. Roldo the count- clown. That's remember. right. It's because I had mad Diablo skills, man. And I remember you didn't do the right thing and then you stuck up your thumb and your finger yeah, yeah, yeah. and did the wiggly finger thing. Well, they thing. cast me, Phil, against type <laughs> as the uh, troublemaker. Yeah. I, I had, like, the tears on my face and I was, like, constantly cheating to get their plates, you know, mm. being twizzled on sticks. And everyone in the audience was like, oh, boo! It's, it was a good moment for me. <laughs> so do you like clowns or not that fast? Yeah, not really. Mm, no. I don't really like clowns either. So, for listeners, this film is about the town of Derry. And in the town of Derry, we're introduced to Georgie and Bill. Sorry, Derry in Northern Ireland, Derry? In Maine. Okay. In America. Gotcha. We're introduced the, uh, right at the start of the film of two little boys. Uh, one of them's a big brother, Bill. He's a bit sickly and he sort of stays indoors. And his younger little brother called Georgie. And Georgie uh, is out playing in the rain and he's got a little boat, a little toy boat that he puts in the stream and it kind of goes along and it flushes away into uh, a, a storm grate, a, a drain. And when he's there, he meets Pennywise the Clown, who is otherwise it. Mm. He's referred to as It. And before I tell more of the plot and what's going on and why I was intrigued to see this film, I'm going to play that clip. It is a little bit creepy, but it's all fine, listeners. Well, here we are. No! Oh! Hiya, Georgie. 
you want it back? Um, yes, please. You look like a nice boy. Do you want a balloon too, Georgie? I'm not supposed to take stuff from strangers. Oh, well, I'm Pennywise the Dancing Clown. Now we aren't strangers, are we? I should get going now. Oh, without your boat? Now, listeners, Phil told me what the uh, the end point of that clip is. Uh, I, well, it doesn't make me want to see it anymore, certainly. <laughs> yeah, that particular scene does not end well for Georgie, unfortunately. He is taken or dealt with by this strange thing, it, the clown, Pennywise the dancing clown. And uh, he goes missing and Bill feels absolutely heartbroken. Fast forward a year and kids are going missing still and they don't really know why or where they're going. There's something about this town, Derry, and maybe there's just this sort of historic curse to it or something like that. That means every 27 years, there's this episode where children go missing. Something every about 27 children. years. Every 27 years, apparently. Mm. Some of the children we meet, other than Bill, who's still sort of traumatised by the disappearance of Georgie. Richie, his foul-mouthed friend. Ben, his rather sort of dumply new kid who joins the gang. Eddie, the sickly kid who's constantly uh, being worried over by his very overbearing mother. Beverly, a girl who's a bit of an outsider, a bit cool. And then there's Stan as well, who's trying to get ready for his bar mitzvah and everything like that. Okay, right. They're yeah, all, yeah, yeah. Imagine uh, a very small kind of American town, quite quiet, quite idyllic. Well, maybe can I jump in, man, a bit like a John Hughes film? That's got a cast of sort of quite stereotypical teenagers. That's yeah, so you've got a kind of a range of sort of middle America in the 80s type yeah, characters. Right. They're all quite young. School's out. The summer's begun. They're, the start of the movie, they throw all their books literally into the trash from their bags. They empty it out without any care in the world. And they go off to have the best summer ever. And yet Bill is constantly thinking, I want to find out what happened to Georgie. I reckon he got flushed, he got sucked into the drain by the storm and he might have gone to this place, the Barrens. Right. He's completely obsessed with that idea. His parents have said, move on, he's died, deal with it. But there's some strange happenings going on. People going missing still. And these, these little group of gang, this little gang, this group of friends start having visions of this clown or some sort of terrifying incident linked to this clown thing that they keep on seeing around. And then they suddenly realise that they are actually seeing the same sort of thing and having these terrifying episodes. And they decide that there's something going on in the town and they're going to investigate and work out what this thing is. What is it? And they're going to find out and beat it. And maybe they'll find Georgie on the way. Without sort of adult assistance. It's more, you know, a road trip adventure kind of thing. It's more like a road trip adventure sort of thing. right. And that is kind of a bit like another Stephen King story and a very famous film. Do you know which one? Oh... Stand by me? Yes, yes, stand by me. I thought that by... was him. I wasn't totally sure. Yeah, it's very similar, but it's, this is kind of like the horror version of that same sort of idea, that same sort of gang getting together, sort of <laughs> investigating in a small town. What a jolly thing to do! The writer of a brilliant, sort of heartwarming, edifying uh, young teen drama writes a, instead a horror version of the same thing. But do you ever mind? Stand by me was what was it they were looking for? Do you remember? Uh, no, actually, I don't. It's, it's a dead body. They heard about a dead body in the woods, and they were going to go find it. Right. So. Stephen King is kind of this weird mix when he's, with his writing of 
optimism and hope and very clear boundaries between good and evil and yet evil is very present in all of his stories i think in different formats so he's also behind shawshank redemption yeah and he's written misery as well he's behind loads of these big movies that have become classics in the the canon of film and hollywood film i was intrigued to go see it because it has some sort of literary background unlike most of the horror films that come out most of the horror films it's about a monster do you remember when we were talking to benedict about i can't remember what the name of the film was but it was he was sort of saying how this idea for a, a monster was being batted around and then they decided they got a good idea for a monster bye so bye build, man bye bye man yeah they've got yeah. a good idea for a monster so they'll just make a film around it I don't think that's what the case is with it. I felt drawn in by this whole world of these children, these characters, and I thought maybe Stephen King, he's a legendary writer, he'll have more to it than just the standard Hollywood stuff. I admit, Phil, from that clip alone, I was more intrigued than I expected to be. I mean, I said earlier on in a jokey way, you can't convince me to go and see it. And that's true. It doesn't look like my kind of film. But at least the characterization of the clown, the way that his voice was working, the way that scene was done seems uh, oddly curious i thought it would be a bit more rote than that whereas now i've got questions i think why does he talk like that why is he like this and i am curious despite myself it might be pinging off bells and laurie you said you started to talk it and i made you be shush um and then i think probably you read it out but it it reminded me massively of stranger things which has been a massive hit on netflix listeners if you haven't seen that show go check it out i thought it was great it's pretty transfixing and actually stranger things was inspired by stephen king and that whole idea and world of kids exploring dealing with danger dealing with evil and taking it on head first Mm. i actually really kind of enjoyed the film and I was surprised to say that because at the start of the film, I was thinking, what am I doing? Here I am sitting down. I was getting absolutely terrified by the first scene. All the movie tropes and genre conventions of horror were working in full effect. He ha- the kid has to go downstairs to get some wax oh. and it's creepy music and he's scared and everything. And all the angles are working in that favor. I was thinking, oh, no, something's going to jump out of the shadow. I couldn't handle it. I was really <laughs> panicking. But as the film gets going, what you realize is actually... This isn't really that much of a horror film. And the horror elements in it, I started to not really be bothered by that much. Interesting, okay. But I was invested in the characters and I was invested in where they were going to go. What's really good about the film is two hours and 50 minutes is it takes time so you actually care about these kids and what's going on in their lives. They are a little bit sort of cookie cutterish in the sense that of what's going on with them. Sort of a new kid who's overweight and doesn't have many friends black kid who feels a little bit on the outside and like he's yeah, getting picked yeah, on by it. bullies the nerds they call themselves the losers is the name of their gang they they it's kind of classic sort of characterization yeah 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 and yet there's enough to their backstories and what's going on with them that it really invests you in the story and even though you've got this horrible character it sort of looming over the whole film you kind of want to see whether or not these kids will triumph over it all and is there a sort of, I mean, one of the things about Stranger Things that makes it so appealing is that there is clearly, there are layers of story that are kind of unraveled. Is that the kind of film we're talking about? Or is it as simple as these kids versus it? Unless that counts as a spoiler or something. It's, well, there's one thing right at the very end, which I think is a little bit spoilerish, but I don't think it would change your enjoyment of the film. Mm, well, I kind of have to leave it up to your judgment then, Phil. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust myself with this one. Listen, as you know, block your so ears at the very out, end, about it. the very end, the title's real to be It, Chapter One. So right. even though you have a full story within this film, it is very much the first part of uh, Stephen King's story 
and also this franchise. So there's going to be a second part, a concluding part, which will make very much sense, more sense if you've seen the first part. Interesting. I'm sure that's one of the big parts of appeal for the studios. Mm. Now, Phil, you know, in the modern age of the internet, where you can't really avoid uh, the chit-chat around films and things, I have heard some people say, oh, this is sort of classic Hollywood blockbuster stuff. Like, they're targeting those crazy box office returns that we flagged up in the intro, massive audience smash, and a lot of true horror fans are kind of saying, oh, it's not, you know, really true to it. It's not very scary. It's just sort of, you know, Hollywood product on screen. Is that Does that bear up to you? I mean, we're not horror aficionados, so hard to say, maybe. Well, no, I think that kind of does fit in with my experience. I wasn't that scared. As the, as the film goes on, it becomes less and less scary. Unfortunately... Right. With the fact that the monster, it, is so familiar and you see, you actually see him quite early on in the film and you kind of see what he's doing quite, quite a lot. He's the star of the show in some ways. The more you see the monster, the less scary it is. The yeah, more the fine. monster talks, the less intimidating it is. Because, yeah, yeah. And this is a character, as you heard in that clip, who's very much about talking and about being seen as what they are. And there's a sense of kind of black comedy to what this monster is doing. There are some sort of shocking moments and a couple of jump scares, which I wasn't really that much of a fan of. And maybe they'll give some horror fans a little bit of a jump, but they didn't really massively scare me other than sort of, oh, there's something new on the screen that I wasn't expecting. But the imagery is kind of just a bit nasty. And that partly is down to the nature of the monster itself in the, for whatever reason, this monster is very much about making the kids afraid, not only just attacking them and getting them, he wants to scare them. So as the film progresses, you see uh, it try and take the form of whatever this child is particularly afraid of. And so you've got different types of fear. You've got a painting oh, right. that creeps out one of the children coming alive. You've got uh, a very diseased man to, for the kid who's a hypochondriac and is worried about his health. For Bill, the, the brother of Georgie, Georgie is the thing that scares him, seeing Georgie again. Oh, right. And wow. so it takes the, it personifies their fears and things like that, which is very in keeping with the idea that this whole story, the whole story of it for Stephen King was that it was about childhood and adulthood. Yeah, right. And it's more about them, less about the monster, even though, as you say, the monster is the star of the show. Yeah, so it's kind of conflicted in that way. And so I wonder if horror fans will be slightly disappointed. For me, as not a horror fan, who was quite interested in what the story was about and what it was saying and, and metaphors that were being used, there's a, bit, there's a bit more to this horror story than I think most. Well, and I quite enjoyed it. Can I jump in and say what we'd normally get Benedict to do at this point, which is the Super Bailey booze score, which is, you know, boo like a ghost, boo not a uh, beer boo, <laughs> booze. <laughs> I can't think of my words. Uh, what would you give it out of 10? Because, I mean, you're saying you're not a horror fan, but you kind of enjoyed it and it wasn't that scary. I would imagine lots of our lin- listeners are not horror fans, given us, but, you know... What do you think? I wouldn't. I would hesitate to really judge it because I'm not that good at judging the whole spectrum but of put horror. Put yourself in the shoes of some of our listeners who don't like horror. How I should think, they feel about it? I think there's still things to be afraid of, and it's designed to make you feel unnerved and afraid. But the nature of the story is kind of about conquering fear and things like that, which is very much parallel to how I felt watching the film. As the film progressed, I felt more and more emboldened and I'm not afraid of you, blah, blah, blah. So it's actually more sort of aspirational, positive overtones kind of thing. Yeah, I think so. And Stephen King, I was reading up on him as after watching the film, he, he writes stories which are about people coming together to conquer evil. And that's very much present in this film. Them being together is their strength and right. uniting together and things like that. Um I think for diehard horror fans, probably it wouldn't be very scary at all. I think for the average Joe slash wimp like me, mm-hmm. it's still scary. So what was the, it was out of 10, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. I'd still probably give it a four right. or five, but I was watching it in the afternoon and a sunny day. 
by yeah, the end crucial, of it. Yeah, crucial choice there. Well done. <laughs> I, was, I, I, was, I was wise about this. Um, I, by the end of it, I'd kind of forgotten about the film in terms of the scariness yeah. after, afterwards. I wasn't that bothered. And certainly the story means that there's not, there's not going to be a lingering sense of fear in the usual way. Nice. Okay. Now, Phil, one thing I uh, flagged up to you just before we started recording is that I know that Bill Skarsgård is in it, and based on that clip, he must be it, right? Yes, he is it. Yeah. He was in Atomic Blonde, and I thought he was very good in that. I didn't mention him in my review, but I think he must be a super up-and-coming star. Well, he is the son of Stellan Skarsgård. That yeah. He was in uh, loads in of Thor, films. Yeah. Also, he was son of, he's the brother of Tarzan. You know, what's his name? Alexander Skarsgård. Yeah, that's right, yeah. And so he is an upcoming guy, and he's from sort of acting royalty at this point, I guess. And I thought his characterization made it interesting, and there was a bit of humour and menace to him. He manages to pitch it quite well, and the production of the whole film, I thought, was beautiful. It was really well shot, well staged. Uh, credit to the director, Andy Muschietti. I thought he did a good job. Um, apparently, Kari Fukunawa Naga or whatever was involved in it. And that was going to be my other big question for you. We can come back to that maybe. You keep going. Well, he, he was involved in the scripting and things like that, but then he left the project. But I wonder if maybe he had some in, input on the visuals and things like that, because I thought the film looked gorgeous. And He's the Beast of No Nation guy. Yeah, he is. And he was also True Detective, which was um, uh, yeah, the yeah. first series. HBO. Mm. I thought the kids were good in it. I thought, unfortunately, the one kid who I thought didn't quite deliver was the strange kids kid stranger things kid because i was too aware of his previous character and his character in this richie in in the film it is so the opposite end he is the foul-mouthed kid and it just didn't really fit that well and i wasn't that convinced that the same kid who was in stranger things would be a nice guy right yeah would be saying these horrible things and the only female in the film who plays character Beverly, Sophia Lillis, she was fantastic. And some people have been saying that sh- her little backstory is probably the scariest part of the whole film. And in fact, it's stuff to do with her father. She's got a very difficult relationship with him. Right. And some people said that her father was more menacing than the actual monster in the end. Interesting. So yeah. I do feel ultimately, listeners, I'll try and wrap it up here. I feel like this is more of a a generally interesting character study about childhood and fear and that sort of thing, but with a horror element. And I've, I was quite intrigued and I didn't hate it. I didn't think it was that scary. And so I wonder if it's that effective as a horror film, but I would be intrigued to see the second part, which well, I'm very surprised to say. Yeah, well, and me too, Phil. I thought, especially since you texted me during the film saying I'm such a wimp, <laughs> I thought you were going to be more intimidated and less positive. But there we are. So what was your grade again? Sorry. I think I'll probably give it a B plus, which I'm very surprised. Maybe just a B. Um, I thought the kids were good and I liked the world uh, that Stephen King manages to paint. Nice work, Phil. Any bonuses? Or we should move on, maybe. I think I've talked far too much. <laughs> no, it was really interesting. Thank you. And especially for a film of the kind we don't normally cover. So nice job. Benedict, we need you back. <laughs> <laughs> Movie news! Shock announcement. J.J. Abrams returns to the new Star Wars trilogy to co-write and direct episode 9. Replacing, what, who was he again? Colin Trevorrow. Tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, you thought that was it. Well, here we go, listeners. We don't, not much to say here, but J.J. Abrams is back in the frame after The Force Awakens. Why do you think they've done it? Well, I think it's kind of obvious, isn't it? They're obviously a bit worried. They've had problems with Gareth Edwards. They've had problems with Colin Trevorrow. They've had problems with Phil Lord and Chris Miller. I think they're starting to think a sure thing is better than this endless speculation. And if they, you know, if they hired another young director, 
or someone they hadn't worked with, there's always the chance it'll happen again. And imagine what the press would be like then. Because it's you know, they haven't even started shooting. They've not even confirmed the script, right? Mm. So, yeah. And maybe it makes sense to bring back the man who started it all to round off the trilogy. But I would imagine they would have had to do some pretty hefty persuading to get him back. I remember him saying that he was a bit gutted that he didn't sign on to do another one. Really? I thought he was all out. One. I thought he was glad to be gone. No, I think after finishing off the project and kind of going through all the press circuit and stuff, I think he was a bit like, oh man, this is Star Wars, I want to be involved. It's interesting, because I wonder whether they haven't calculated on the fact that a lot of people now, while the sort of hype after The Force Awakens has really cooled off, a lot of people in retrospect don't like it that much, actually. A lot of people have, you know, big fans especially have complaints about it, and they think it's just a rehash of A New Hope. They don't like some of the characterization, uh, you know. Or, or lack of. Yeah, exactly. So I don't know. I, I wonder what the fallout will be, actually. It's new today, so we don't know how people are reacting. But maybe it's the... I think there is some quality to Force Awakens in terms of the, yeah, we liked the it. feel like and it. the vibe. And it's a solid, competent movie. It's not that... Um, it was a bad movie. I don't think that. I think just maybe the excitement has soured a little bit over yeah. time and maybe they were hoping for a bit more new and maybe by the time the third one comes around, J.J. Abrams will have plenty of new things and won't have the shackles of expectation on him in the same way. Do you know one thing actually that makes me more worried than anything else? Uh, according to Star Wars's official website where this press release you know, came from today, uh, it, he's co-writing it with Chris Terrio. Now, that's probably not a name you're familiar with, Phil, but he wrote Argo. Good, thumbs up, right? Mm-hmm. Ben Affleck won the directorial award, didn't he, for that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but he also wrote Batman vs. Superman, Dawn of Justice. And I, oh, kinda, really? I don't understand how you put those two things together. And he's written the Justice League as well. And this is the guy they're pairing with, J.J. Abrams. I don't, I don't get that, really. No, I don't get that at all. Where's the, uh, the guys from before? Where's... Where's any of it? Well, Lawrence Kasdan isn't even... I don't think he's even attached at this point either. So I'm a bit more worried about that than anything else because that guy has only done blockbusters. Argo was a one-off for him, so it would seem. Maybe he was co-writing and with other people and things like that. Um, David S. Goy, I think, was involved with lots of the the DC Universe stuff. Right. And maybe he's the guy who's come into being, doing polishing. Maybe he's and, a fixer or something. Yeah, maybe fixing a couple of scenes. So I'm not... To, oh maybe I don't know I, I kind of want to don't know anything I know right films yeah now. Well, we can round it off now and we had Nicholas tweeted last week saying Star Wars fatigue and all that sort of stuff listeners how does this make you feel are you still excited are you hyped are you worried are you glad JJ's back honestly I think we just need to see episode 8 and see how that pans out but then if what if episode 8 is great and it's like why aren't we getting this guy back well who knows man who knows anything can happen the next <laughs> what is that probably getting us Thunderbirds yeah Five, anything can happen four, in the next four, yeah one. Okay, right. <laughs> Movie news. <laughs> I was just about to do that. Something as well. Than a mile. Is that the words? You're such a perfect smile. I don't know the words. No. Good job, good job. Yeah. yeah, this film is nothing like that, man. Wind River. Yeah, Taylor Sheridan, as we said in the introduction, has written and directed this. He is a hot property right now. I, I discovered that he wrote the scripts for Sicario and Hell or High Water and Wind River around the same time. How's he done that? That's Cranking them out. An unbelievable triple threat of screenplays. I mean, I haven't told you about Wind River yet, but, well, there's a little spoiler. Uh, he has said before that this is the script he is most protected of because he really wanted to get it right and in particular it's because it focuses on these native american reservations and i 
I'm probably the least qualified person in the world, Phil, to talk about the politics of that, the culture of that, what it's like on them, what it's like around them, how America sort of interacts with them as a cultural whole. I've got no idea. So I can only go by what Taylor Sheridan said in an interview with The Guardian. And he hinted that this is a particularly difficult thing to write about because especially if you're a white guy writing about the lives of these people, you know, how can you not be patronising and how can you not make assumptions because of the cultural history and because you turn up there and try and empathise? And he says there's a big joke, which is that all the white guys turn up and say, oh, yeah, my, my grandma was Cherokee. And they all just sort of laugh and say, yeah, right, OK, go on your, go on your mm-hmm. bike or whatever. And he, he's written at length about how he really wanted to respect this culture and he's got friends in the reservations. He spent time in one, blah, 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 blah. Are you getting a picture of it? Yeah. So it's obviously quite a passion project, but one that's slightly on a knife edge. Mm. So with all of that behind us, listeners, thankfully, it's a really simple story, a tough one, a simple story nonetheless. We follow Corey Lambert, who is Jeremy Renner, and he's a hunter on the reservation. He's divorced from his wife and he's got a little son. And, you know, he lives a kind of a hand-to-mouth, solitary existence. It's an amazing first scene where he shoots a wolf that is eyeing up a flock of sheep. It's a surprisingly powerful scene because very rarely do you see what amounts to a nature documentary shot in which the animal is killed by a human. It's mm. sort of jarring instantly. Do you know what I mean? There's, there's you start a... with an intro of animals and things like that. But and there's then... something you never see and, and shot in a really beautiful, very still way. It's interesting, powerful immediately. And you kind of get the guy's character straight away because there he is in his uh, white gear so that he matches perfectly with the snow. Wind River is continually coated in snow. He barely says any words. It's, yeah, you get a portrait of this solitary guy, a hunter, and... He quite quickly, uh, on a hunt to find some lions who've been terrorising some of the livestock, uh, comes across the body of a girl. It's really sad. A teenage girl lying face down in the snow, terrible frostbite on her feet. She's got a head wound. Um, What they find out is that because of the weather, it's likely that she's been running and inhaling the air at that temperature might have caused her lungs to kind of freeze up and bleed. It's a horrible horrible Mm. situation. And so naturally... The police force, who are very, very small, kind of shrunken, there's practically no one there, want to find out what's happened. So, and this must be a political thing peculiar to the situation there, they call in the FBI. And the FBI send Elizabeth Olsen, who is playing Jane Banner, a young and apparently clueless FBI agent. She turns up in this Jeep. She's not even really got a coat properly. She's got no gloves. And they're saying, are you serious? You're going to freeze to death before we even get to this crime scene here. Mm. Uh, And so... Can you get the state? It's a bit tense. Small town murder. An FBI person coming into a community she doesn't understand. Inexperienced. She's going to get the help of this hunter, Jeremy Renner, who's grizzled and he knows his way around. Enter, you know, cultural differences. Enter intrigue and mystery. Enter, you know, the sort of destitute uh, poverty that areas of this reservation clearly have. And you've got a crime in the middle of it all. Does that sit, ring any bells with anything for you, Phil? It sounds very much like a film I want to see. Does I'm it? kind of gutted I didn't see it now. Really? Oh, Phil. I mean, you went to see it instead. I know, I did. Well, I was going with it. It's a bit like Hell or High Water already, It is right? very much. And very much like Sicario. Sort of uh, tough, unflinching and difficult environment where things are not as straightforward as as most law enforcement is. Yeah, exactly right. And also, I thought it reminds me of Scandinavian crime travels at this point, right? You've yeah, very much bleak, so. sort of empty landscape and slightly careworn people trying to solve it. Snowy murders are so hot right now. <laughs> it's so true, though, isn't it? <laughs> it yeah, is, it's yeah, completely true. Okay, let's have a clip. 
So you're going to hear Jeremy Renner chatting to Elizabeth Olsen's FBI agent. They're around the crime scene. It's got yellow tape on it and it's cordoning off footprints as well as the actual body. And you can hear him describing how this might have happened to Elizabeth Olsen's green FBI agent. And you just need to picture her looking kind of completely aghast at everything, but determined as well. And his expression doesn't really change. And it'll all come across through their vocal performance too. Here we it's go. a little bit nasty, but I think it's okay. You, you're confident with that film? So yeah, it's not so. pleasant they're describing a crime scene, but there's nothing explicit in there. Okay, here you go. Over here, see this one? See how the toast turned out? The front is much deeper than the back. That says she's running. Come here, I'll show you. She ran until she dropped here. See the pool of blood where her face hit the snow. Now it gets 20 below here at night. So if you fill your lungs up with that cold air when you're running, you can freeze them up. Your lungs fill up with blood. You start coughing it up. So wherever she came from, she ran all the way here. Her lungs burst here. She curled up in that tree line and drowned her own blood. Well, how far do you think someone could run barefoot out here? Oh, I don't know. How do you gauge someone's will to live? Especially in these conditions. But I knew that girl. She's a fighter. So no matter how far you think she ran, I can guarantee you she ran further. Yeah, so that's very representative of the whole film. There's quite long stretches of stilted dialogue, especially from Jeremy Renner. He takes long pauses between the things that he says and it, clearly he's a man who thinks deeply and carefully, not careless with his words, not really given to talking an awful lot. And I just think it's really fascinating, Phil. I, Jerry Merrin good? I'm not, yeah. I don't, not a fan, really. <laughs> I know you're not, man, and you're wrong. He's great in this. He's really, really great. I think one thing I was not clear on throughout the whole film is I don't think he's of Native American heritage. Not that I'm aware of, no. And I think in the film they make allusions to the fact that he isn't either, but he is part of that community, possibly because... His family lived there and he married uh, a native woman from the area. Uh, he's great. He, he has to hold the film. You're with him for a lot of the time. Not More so than Elizabeth Olsen. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, I'll come to her in a minute. And you do. His face is perfect for it, Phil. I've rarely thought of him in a similar vein to Daniel Craig. But those guys are both nature has given them, Phil. Craggy faces that belong. lines. <laughs> yeah, experience. Yeah, but kind of lines where you could, you know, you can impose your own story on those lines. They're not necessarily laughter or whatever. Actually, they could be anything. They are you could a face be... reader like? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But, you know, they could be the the face of a guy who's seen a lot of evil and been punched a few times, you know, craggy. And a lot of it is to do with his gaze and his sort of solidity in the face of everything that is around him. You are anchored to him throughout the whole film. You get the impression, you kind of see it through his eyes. Weirdly, you take on a sense of his own weariness, that he's not surprised yeah, he is horrified about what's going on. And you learn a lot about his past and kind of why he's so determined to find the killer in this case. And his interplay with Elizabeth Olsen, I think it's brilliant. She's so good, man. I sort of didn't realise quite how good she was. I she, knew. Scarlet I saw Witch. her before she was cool. Yeah, I saw well, her back well, in well. Uh, Liberal Arts. Do you remember that film I did oh, for yeah. watching? It was uh, one with the guy from How I Met Your Mother. Right. And uh, yeah, I thought she was great in that. She's been good in lots of things. I thought she was going to be good in Avengers. That's where you might recognise her. Scarlet Witch, listeners. Yeah. Scarlet Witch, yeah. But she's not been great in those films, but she is a really good actress, I think. I think she's so talented and she's perfectly cast here because she really 
captures, you know, the two halves of performance that she has to deliver. The green and the gills, uh, you know, young, naive agent who is sort of untested in many ways and is a bit shocked and surprised by what she discovers. She hasn't got the sort of grisly experience that she really needs to do her job well. And yet she's really determined and she is brave. Like she's both those scenes together and it's a fantastic performance. I think especially towards the end, there's a scene in a hospital where I thought she was just magnificent. I thought... You know, there are so many ways to overplay that particular scene. I'm not spoiling it, and I don't think she did it. I think she was right down the middle. Excellent. Can I ask, is it better than Hell or High Water? It's a different film. And, well, maybe I should bring up a weak point in, in this case. I think Hell or High Water has a far superior script. I think this one, he's the director as well as the writer in this one, not the case for Hell or High Water. And I felt like there are a couple of scenes that needed chopping back. There's one particular scene, if you do go and watch it, where... He is counselling, Jeremy Renner's character is counselling the father of this girl who's been murdered and he's sort of talking to him about grief and how he's experienced grief himself. I didn't think that scene was very well written and it's a real shame because actually that is a kind of a pivotal moment uh, for where the film goes next and it was just too much. I think uh, Taylor Sheridan is clearly too in love. Too close to it. Well, he's, yeah, he's too in love with the idea of this character he's created, this very stoic guy who's kind of seen it all. And I needed, I just didn't quite work for me and it was too long. And Jeremy Renner's sort of uh, two words every minute (laughs) performance in that case just didn't suit the dialogue. So I think that's as good an example. It's not quite as well written. And it's also not necessarily that well directed. And this is a hard one to admit because now that I know Taylor Sheridan has directed it and he's not really a director yet, uh, I'm kind of, some of the stuff that I noticed when I was watching it, now I'm putting down to a slightly inexperienced hand, which is possibly unfair, right? Mm. Um, but there is a lot of shaky cam where there didn't really need to be shaky cam. I found myself thinking, why are we getting a shaky cam of a fireplace right now? You know, there's no need for this to be a handheld camera moment. All it's doing is adding tension unnecessarily to a scene where you could let the dialogue or the personal interactions do it. They're not having a assured hand to sort well, of it's hold just, back. Well, it's just judgment calls because there are scenes where there's not shaky cam and there are wide-angle lenses of nature stuff and they're really great and powerful and there are good moments of shaky cam as well. It's just that I'm just questioning some of the choices and there's an overabundance of shots through the leaves of trees. So I get that we're supposed to understand that there's a mystery here that needs to be revealed but we don't always need to symbolise that through the idea that people are being Trouted watched. Because that's the deal, yeah. isn't it? If you're getting shot through the leaves, then someone's watching, there's something still undecided. You may not be the director in the theatre, you might just be the player, you get it? You know what I'm yeah. saying? Too, uh, slightly too much of that. But honestly, all that pales because I think the star of the film, besides those two excellent lead performances and the performance of a guy called Graham Greene who plays an old police chief, another one of Taylor Sheridan's possibly favourite character types, Jeff Bridges, nearly won an Oscar, didn't it, for the same yeah, sort of Yeah, and then also Josh Brolin in um, Sicario. Yeah, yeah, those, those, he writes his characters brilliantly, Taylor Sheridan, but the real star is a story. And it's really interesting, I heard him talking about it and he said he loves to tell simple stories and subvert expectations. And I think that unusually when someone is talking about their own work i think he's actually completely right about that this is a really straightforward story there are not that many twists and turns there are just high points of tension that come out of nowhere and vanish just as fast and they always take you by surprise there's quite an early action scene that i don't think you will see coming even though the film actually gives you all the clues to see it you still don't see it it's really mm. surprising and there's a richness of kind of metaphor going on that you don't need to fully understand or fully engage with this it's kind of symbolism done well 
but it has an impact on it you. It loosely paints a picture that has yeah. to it. And you, you find yourself thinking about life on the reservation. You find yourself thinking about the culture and the situation of these people. You find yourself thinking about the way the different pockets of this micro-society operate and the kind of poverty some live in and the kind of hope or not hope that people have. You know, the kind of family dynamics. It's just very clever and the film is good at that. Like, there's a nice moment where he come, he finds the lions in their den and obviously he's an intelligent enough filmmaker not to just waste that as part of him doing his job, but he uses it to symbolise something as well. I will say that I think some people will possibly be fairly shocked by some of it. It's not pleasant. I mean, there's an autopsy, which actually I didn't find very graphic, but some people might find ideas that, that uncomfortable. are uncomfortable. Yeah, they are unpleasant ideas. They're kind of classic crime ideas, basically. You know, this girl has had a horrible time before she's died, and and you have to discover what kind of horrible time she's had because that's the point of the film. We've got to discover this. And I want to say to people who are troubled by this kind of theme and this kind of violence that there is a an important bit of text that comes up at the end of the film. And I don't know whether to spoil it or not. I'm going to test it out on you, Phil. Oh, and is that going to spoil it for me? Well, no, it won't spoil it <laughs> I for want you. To it's, see no, it. no, no, because I don't think it is a spoiler. But let me test it out on you and before I tell the listeners. Well, there we go, listeners. Phil says it is a spoiler, a thematic spoiler. But just trust me that by the end of the film, you might have a slightly different view about what you've seen. It's not gratuitous. I think it's incredibly sensitively and powerfully done. So much so that there's a scene in it that I was really surprised by my reaction to, Phil. Uh, Let me just say that there is a scene in which there's a lot of gunfight, gunfire, and weirdly it was, can I call it satisfying violence? I know that sounds like a troubling thing to say, but I can't think of any other way to put it. I don't particularly like violence in films, but there was something about the way that this was staged, shot, paced, everything that built up to that moment that it kind of felt right in, you know, and not right at the same time. I it's don't really know how to put it. That's a really interesting thing. It was I don't so know how to well filmed either. and it was so well staged. It's messy, but it's powerful and it really commits to its message. It's, it's a brilliant sequence, I think. In the same way that like Hell or High Water has a, a violent scene towards the end. Of oh, a horrifying scene. And yeah. it's a really ugly thing. But at the same time, the story needs it. It doesn't make the story doesn't work if it doesn't have that element. Is that what yeah. you're kind of getting at? Kind of, yeah. But yeah, you I felt mean, it rather than yeah, just knowing it. It was very powerful. Uh, so I think you can tell us. Since I really love this film, I What's thought the it grade? was fascinating. I'm going to give it an A minus. I think the script does let it down in places, but considering its ambitions, I've thought about it a lot since. And I was, you know, I was moving around in my seat in a kind of a oh no like kind of where i was so tense like it worked every part of it worked i mean a final comment is on the music which i discovered is nick cave is involved in it again okay Uh, at times i thought the music was too much it's nearly omnipresent when you'd expect a film set in this snow you know snow covered reservation to have a lot of silence they even make a point in the film at one point saying all we've got left is the silence kind of thing my people have been fighting for this silence for years it's all that's left to them but there's not that much silence in the film because there's a lot of soundtrack and yet, actually, I think it's excellently written. The particular theme that has some vocals soaring over the top is really strong. And it, yeah, I, I think go and see it, listeners. If you're in doubt about new films to see, this is the one. It's a tough watch, but it is a really good watch. Fantastic performances. And yeah, I was kind of blown away by it. Bonuses? You don't need to be James Bond uh, or Bob Lee Swagger to wear a cool white sniping suit. Okay. Uh, what's the certificate, Jeff, by the way? I believe it's a 15 and it deserves to be one. Troubling themes and it's the whole thing is done to exaggerate those themes. So be aware of that. But Sensitively dealt with. Yeah, I was really impressed by it. Taylor Sheridan, absolutely one to watch. 
There you go. Wind River. Laurie, I want to tell you and I want to tell listeners about my secret little movie fan treasure trove. Okay, Phil, hit us with it. Paint it a map. DVDs at charity shops. Absolute right. goldmine of good ways to watch movies. If you ever want to catch up on a movie that is not on the old Netflix streamy thingy, Bobby, then I have been collecting quite a collection just from getting those well, films. Like 50p a piece kind of thing? Yeah, like very, very cheap, but f- works fine. And you just watch it and you're done or you watch it and you keep it forever. But it's really interesting because what I found is that basically charity shops are where you can find films which are really odd or controversial or a bit unusual. So you're not going to find necessarily the big blockbusters, though you might because people have just said, oh, I've, I've got this now. But you can easily get those on Netflix, right? Yeah, exactly. Those ones will pop up. But these are the films which are slightly uh, a bit art housey, a bit sort of controversial, a bit or more... Or just kind of slightly off the radar. Exactly. And so you get to see these sort of random films that you would never watch, but you, you think, oh, it's only 50p or 99p, I'll buy it and then I'll just watch it. And it is worth saying that a lot of the films that end up there do so, not necessarily necessarily because they're bad or that people don't like them it's because of streaming services yeah and so people are getting rid of just stuff that clutters up their house they're not getting rid of bad things necessarily tell me about cluttering i got for my birthday i well uh, not my own choice but i've got a dvd like binder you got a wallet thing and i've taken all my dvds my beautiful dvds and had to strip them bare and put them the little disc into these little slots it's a tough moment because we phil have come through the age when getting those like box sets of trilogies or like a really nice cardboard case or a steel case were really important it was a big deal yeah before all this started happening and some people still love that kind of thing and they're unwilling to let go a bit like the vinyl lovers right Mm. i'm kind of past that i have to admit I I like my DVD collection, but I never really look at it or use it, to be perfectly honest. But that's the thing. I've got all these DVDs, but I wasn't really watching them apart from occasionally. And suddenly I realised it's such a faff having DVDs to put into like a machine and everything like that. But then DVDs are still knocking about and they're still useful, Blu-ray and things like that. Do you think it's just going to die? I still, well, no, I still recommend heading to, you know, HMV or whatever, as long as they're still around. Stick around, please. I still remember going in there and playing Star Wars Episode One Racer on our weekends, mate. (laughs) That's where I develop my love of Jennifer Lopez music. but you, it's a different feeling seeing them all there, knowing that you can take it home and watch it that night just on the DVD, and you're not going to have to faff about with Wi-Fi or anything like that. You're not going to have to spend ages and ages shifting through all these different genres and films that Netflix thinks you might like. Instead, you've just gone there, chosen it, bought it, done it. I think there is value, yes. The only thing I will come back at you on is that charity shops have as much rubbish as they have good stuff, and you're going to oh, find yeah, yourself but it's like, it's you like know, putting down hunting. Princess Tinkerbell's <laughs> pirate adventure and stuff, you know? <laughs> oh, there's definitely stinkers. There's absolutely stinky stinkers but it's still fun to look at it it's uh, there's very few shops you can browse these days charity shops you can browse i'll tell you one thing that i really think is going to get dropped off the radar and i'm genuinely sad about uh, is uh, bonus content i think the more that we stream films and do digital films the less people are going to be aware of or care about things like director's commentaries or deleted scenes or behind the scenes and actually some of my like best film memories are those things like when jurassic park came out do you remember that mm. and our parents wouldn't let us see it because it was too scary he wouldn't I let was... his own kids see it steven spielberg yeah, exactly apparently. there you go that's what they said to us time yeah, time. i don't, I don't really know if that's true <laughs> yeah. uh, time and time again i'd be glued to the you know old 4x3 tv desperate for film specials that talked about the cars or On channel 4 or whatever yeah and i used to love that stuff so much and then lord of the rings behind the scenes some of the best ever. Yeah, it, Lord it makes has you want to go and be stuff. a filmmaker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's the sad thing because as I was con- like kind of cannibalizing my DVD collection into this DVD binder, I got to the all these bonus discs and yeah. everything like that, and I thought 
I don't want to take up the space. So I just literally no, put it on a pile. Phil, I can't and I thought, that. am I ever going to watch this? So I put this whole disc of interesting content that I would kind of want to see one day and just said, I don't have time. Here's the thing that we should do, man. We should, I mean, right, right, right now, no one else is allowed to steal this idea. We should design <laughs> and patent some kind of thing you can put on your wall or whatever it is, which is essentially a DVD uh, shuffler so that you can push a button and it'll drop out a random DVD and then you watch it. And then you could have all your bonus content or whatever else. You just put it in this machine that we're going to make. You mean like a karaoke jukebox or sort of thing? A little bit DVDs. like that, but it, it's randomized. Or you can put in filters or something, and it will just drop one out for you. And that way, if it's a bonus content DVD, you have to watch the, it. Well, you don't necessarily have to, but the you, film it's picker trademark. To you. Do you see what I mean? Mm. And that, and that, you can't sort of break it open or anything like that. You've just got to go through it one by one, and you have to really consider it because you know people have put hours and years. Uh, of their lives into this stuff millions of dollars it shouldn't be consigned to the dustbin there you go would you patented what do you think i don't know i don't know would there be a market I think for people that? would buy that listeners tell us but don't steal the idea yeah <laughs> also tell us if you have any curly ideas for how to store dvds and films that you purchase is this a urgent need for you film yeah i felt really sad putting it all in a bill dvd binder but at the same time i've got loads of films that just don't need a box so wow. it's half of this six of that What's the phrase? Uh, six of one, half dozen of the other. <laughs> yeah, air. thank but, you. That's yeah, fine, Phil. Half of this, six of that's all right as well. <laughs> Doesn't actually make sense, but there yeah, we go. Yeah, so it does. Like a mm. dice. Let us know your thoughts, listeners. Superbellybros at gmail.com at superbellybros on Twitter. Also, tell me if you found any gems in a charity shop. Mm, I don't think I have. There we are. Keep looking. Yes, what we've been watching. Two older films for you, not the six, as we did last week, Phil. I'm going to do Fearless with Jet Li, and you're going to do... Eastern Promises with Vigo Maltese. Shall I go first? Because mine is going to be very short. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, fine. We'll play the trailer anyway, but here you go. Fearless. After a great war, foreign powers ruled China. But our traditions still gave us hope. To break our will, they staged the tournament to prove the superiority of their warriors against our own. Only one rose to challenge them. You better lose this time. Our victory is guaranteed. He carried our pride on his shoulders and brought the nation to his feet. This man was fearless. Mm, yeah, 2006. This is Jet Li's last Wushu film, reportedly. Do you know what Wushu is, Phil? Is it a style of fighting or something? Or, or a tale? Is it something to do with, like, biopic of legends and things? Possibly. I'm not totally sure, but it certainly centres around this kind of old-style uh, martial arts in China. Phil, this film is boring, man. I'm really sorry to say it. I was toying with doing a super short review but I, I mean, it was on Now TV with five stars. And I thought, you know what? I've got a genuine soft spot uh, for those kind of films that do the glamorous uh, and yet slightly grimy world of Chinese martial arts in the Qing dynasty, or is it Qing dynasty? Q-I-N-G, figure it out, I don't know. And I really wanted to be there. I wanted to be there and see the beautiful woodwork. I wanted to see the beautiful forests. I wanted to hear people talk about sort of the honourable traditions of the fighters. I wanted to hear some Eastern philosophy. I wanted all that kind of stuff. And Jet Li is a proven master of this format. What I got instead was, I don't really know what to say because it is so dull and... I really challenge anyone to prove to me how it isn't dull. This is the classic hero's tale. 
And it's sort of inappropriately so, because it's about a real person uh, towards the uh, end of the 19th century, a real figure who started a famous Chinese martial arts school. He's called Huo Yuanjia. I can't have pronounced that right, I'm sorry to say. And he was renowned as a fighter for taking on Western fighters. And he was one of very few people, uh, as the trailer said there, who was able to defeat these Western strongmen. And it's a funny thing, isn't it? Because we don't tend to see very many films focusing on like pro wrestling, for example. We do see a lot of films focusing on Chinese martial arts. And so when you grow up as a teenager, you tend to assume these Chinese martial artists are at the peak of, you know, self-defense. Super brilliant. Could take on any size or any muscle. If only our British troops could fight like that, they'd win every war. Do you know that kind of thing? But, you know, the reality back then and kind of in this film as well is that as much as it's an incredible traditional style not necessarily that effective when it comes to fighting so there's a fighter fight with a boxer here an o'brien from uh, england and the boxer is you know expected to win because he was this massive incredibly muscly guy who would just with brute force and stamina would just take these guys down didn't matter how sort of perfect their form was he just beat them up and that was an actual thing in china so when they heard about this chinese traditional master who was able to beat them and you know he had this classic tale of being a young guy whose dad didn't want him to fight but he was so talented and he watched and he practiced you know it's he's the perfect sort of figure to show that uh, chinese traditions can outlive the end of this dynasty while japan while the western powers are coming in to tear them apart he's the central figure for holding on to a culture and not letting it get destroyed the problem is a lot of that history is disputed. No one actually knows whether he really won any of these fights and there's no sort of concrete proof about it. You know, that's not, I don't believe that's a controversial thing to say. That's what I've been able to find out looking into it. And even the fights themselves in the film are not convincing. I knew we were really in trouble when the opening scene was him fighting a guy dressed up like uh, the American soldiers in The Last Samurai. Uh, like the American, well, I can't think, sort of almost Confederate uniform. Like Civil chaps. War style. Yeah, exactly. And he's using a big spear to fight Jet Li. But the American fighter is doing it like Kung Fu style. And I kind of think that's already a problem, isn't it? Because the American would not fight like that. (laughs) Like, it doesn't make sense. And it's almost like that's the only way that this fighting style is able to succeed. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And so it's instantly kind of, oh, this is going to be one of those films where everything's just kind of symbolic and kind of imagined and kind of on the surface. And it really is that film. It's... There's nothing to surprise you. There's nothing to interest you. You'll be able to predict every single step of this adventure. It's not trying to be historically accurate. As far as I can tell, every chance there is to embellish this guy's life and his successes is taken so that not only is he more successful than he probably was in real life, but also the reason for his death is exaggerated to be even eviler (laughs) than it may well have been in real life. I don't know the truth of it. This film isn't interested in the truth of it. It's really, really bland and very disappointing. Jet Li is probably right to get out of that genre. What's the grade? A C minus. Very boring. <laughs> okay. It's not even well filmed. Like the fight scenes aren't good. There was a particular fight scene uh, where he uses swords and it's inside a room. Well, I could just tell they were stitching scenes together. They were using so many cuts to film like a table being cut in half or a guy doing a flip. That is completely the opposite of what people love about these movies, which is that the choreography is so masterful. These Stunt guys, work is masterful as yeah, well. Yeah, and you, and you can follow the flow of the fight. This is not that. This is really lazy fight direction and quite tedious fight direction. Compare it to Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon and be disappointed. Even more so when you realise that some of the people behind Hero and Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon were involved in this film. So oh, yeah, gosh. C-, very disappointing. Phil, guess a good one, mate. Eastern Promises? Eastern Promises. We think he might be Russian Mafia. And he was a member of Vorev Sakonia. In Russian prisons, your life story is written on your body. And tattoos. 
You don't have tattoos, you don't exist. I'm afraid we've lost the mother. Unidentified woman died December the 20th, 2313. Baby girl born 20th of December, 2314. Anya, where did you get this? I found it in the handbag of the girl who died in my ward. You should bury her secrets with her body. I'm a midwife. I was hoping to speak to the manager. Yeah, and I'm so sorry if she had worked here. I would remember it is said. It's all right. I'll probably find out more once I get her diary translated. A diary? You want to go for a drink? It's Christmas. Everything's closed. Sometimes, if things are closed, you just open them up. This girl ended up in the hands of the Vorifa Sukonyi. Do you know what that means? How did you get in here? There are always open doors. He wants the diary. My son, Kirillos, mentioned many times. I think he was threatening to harm the baby. If the diary should find its way to the police. Okay, boss, you don't have to worry. Police won't find any. She was 14, just as a child. Forget any of this ever happened. Stay away from people like me. Have you read the diary? How can you keep doing what you're doing? I decide what's right and what's wrong. You can't afford to be killed in any area. I need to know who you are. Show some respect. This is respect. The Vori were like a contagious disease. There's no cure once they've touched you. Oh, there we go. He's a man out of time. If he'd been born in the Grecian era, I'm sure we would have seen a lot of statues of him, man. His face what? would suit that kind of, you the know, super bust. chin. <laughs> yeah, he really is, isn't he? He's sort of, he's, so, he's sort of so chiselled. He's gone past handsome to slightly weird looking. Do you agree with me? <laughs> slightly weird looking. I think as Aragorn, a lot of people loved him because the hair sort of softened that. And all. then the beard, the beard was a big thing. But when he's clean shaven, it's just kind of like oh. he's he's a, a handsome dude, but he's just unusual looking, isn't he? But I, great actor. Tell me good things. So Eastern Promises is a film starring Naomi Watts and Vivi Mortensen. It also stars the guy in Ocean's 12, the French criminal. French criminal? I've not seen it, man. You've not seen Ocean's 12? No, mate. Ocean's 11 was enough for me. <laughs> anyway, he's in it, but he's playing a Russian in this. Directed by David Cronenberg, I think it yes, is. Yes, that's right, yeah. He's the guy behind A History of Violence, another Vigo Miltonson film that was quite well received. In this film, Vigo is playing this Serbian guy who's kind of like a fixer and a driver for this Russian family who might have criminal activity behind the scenes. You might have worked it out from the trainer listeners, but Naomi Watts is a midwife who um, comes across an orphaned girl. A, a little baby is born in her ward under her care. The mother dies during the process or something like that. And she's invested in this little girl. She wants to see what's going to go on. And the, the mother, who's very young, has left a diary in Russian. And so she investigates. She wants to use this diary to try and find out uh, where her the baby's father might be, who her family is to sort of place her and, and try and put it kind of to rest. Got it. In the process, she takes this diary to where this girl was associated with, where she worked, and she meets Vigo Mortensen, the driver, who's covered in tattoos. And as you heard in the trailer, all these tattoos mean something in uh, in Russia. They they symbolise something. If you don't have tattoos, you're nothing. And Vigo Mortensen is covered in tattoos. There's lots of uh, slightly dodgy, slightly good Russian accents in this film. Yeah, I was going to say, Terence Stamp is in there giving it his all. Yeah, and it's a very funny film because it's both good and rubbish at the same time. It's 
a very creepy world. I don't really like Russian mobsters. I remember hearing a stand-up comedian who said, what's the scariest white guy you can think of? What nationality would it be? It'd be Russian, wouldn't it? Did like, he say that? That's yeah. a bit racist, isn't it? Well, no, but I think he was saying, like, how can you be intimidating if you're a white guy? If you get into trouble, you play, you, you put on a Russian accent and they don't want to mess with you, is what they said. And anyway, there's kind of all that going on. It's playing on that whole stereotype of the kind of slightly outside of the law, will do anything Russian mentality. And it is an intimidatingly uncomfortable environment to be watching a film in because Naomi Watts is this British girl who's blonde and she goes into this world where she so clearly doesn't belong and yet she's kind of trying to be tough and Vigo just sort of looks and says, oh, what do you want? It's almost like, uh, I mean, this is a terrible comparison, but considering we're talking about Scandi crime dramas with Wind River, it reminds me a bit of Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, but the roles are reversed slightly. Possibly a little bit. There's, it's just a sort of cold environment. It's very cold. Russian, okay. Russians live in a very cold environment. And yet this is set in London, but everything's very grey and muted. Really? The trailer did not look yeah, like London. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't look like London. I was like, what? why are we in London? But it is set in London. It's quite an interesting mystery. It's quite in- interesting sort of discovering the pieces of this diary. What's going on? What's the backstory? There's this looming threat of the family clearly not wanting her to discover more. Vigo Mortensen as a bit of a more nuanced character. He's a Serbian, so he's not like exactly in with them. Right. But he is part of them and he's trying to sort of prove himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's sort of a watcher for this uh, this father figure's son. And he's willing to do anything for this family, it seems to be. The movie builds up quite well. There's a bit of a mystery. There's a bit of twists and turns. There's one moment towards the end, right towards the end, which kind of made me literally say when I was watching it, oh, come on, that's a stupid decision. Really? Yeah, it's a really stupid decision because having built these characters up and what the context is of all of them in this in this world, they just do something so Hollywood and so screenwritery <laughs> that it just ruins it all. And you're That's saying, really oh, weird. I was just... not expecting the film to do that. No, and you think they would somehow, somebody would say, no, actually this wouldn't happen. This moment isn't needed in the script. It's so unnecessary as well, and it completely spoilt it for That's me. That's such a shame. But it's c- quite rich. It's creepily enchanting. It wasn't a pleasant watch, I wouldn't say. I saw far too much of Viggo Mortensen than I would like. Think Captain Fantastic. <laughs> He's in that making scene. a habit of that, right? Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. He loves okay. getting in the buff. He does a whole fight scene in the buff. Just saying. That's pretty cool, though. Come on. No, it's not cool. You Man, just, you get that's distracted a whole other level by the of tension that you're worried about. Right <laughs> yeah, there. exactly. You get distracted by all the giblets flying around, and he's like fighting some. It's very violent. There's a couple of sequences which are really, really horrible. Okay. I wonder if it was a little bit like Limehouse Golem in the sense that you see very intently what they're doing to kill somebody. The particular thing with the Limehouse Golem that I hated was that it didn't just focus on the gore and the grimness, it focused on the pain of the victim and I couldn't forgive it for that. Well, there is a little bit of that. It's not necessarily extended but you very clearly see what has happened to somebody when they're dispatched and that's not very pleasant and so I'd go in watching it carefully. I think it might be an 18, it definitely would be a 15. It's very violent um, and a bit more violent in a kind of shocking way at sporadic moments. So you can't, don't necessarily see it coming. What's the grade? I think I'm going to give it a B minus. I think Viggo Mortensen is good. And it does make me want to see a history of violence, which I think is slightly different. Okay. But I'm intrigued by that. So maybe not an easy Sunday afternoon watch. But no. But if you've got a hankering for, you know, a gritty crime film. But it's not maybe? necessarily unlike other films I've seen. Okay. So, yeah, and it's got a bit more to it than you might think, but then at the same time, it's it's a complicated film. I don't know what I think of it. Maybe C+, maybe B, <laughs> no, I don't know. Yeah, no, very clear. Nicely done, Phil. Okay, listeners, there's your What We've Been Watching Fix. Send us your thoughts, uh, plus ones and minus ones, if you've seen either of those and you agree or disagree with us. Superbellybros at gmail.com, at superbellybros on Twitter. 
Slay me is emails backwards. Slay me is emails backwards. I suppose it is, actually. This is my song for this week's email song. Here we go, Laurie. Shall we do the emails? I think I should write some guidelines on these because, <laughs> much as I enjoy them, I, I didn't think know. I just went is, with it. It's a little bit I... too long, isn't it? I think we should set a last know, week. Time I literally limit. just E M A L I S. Yeah, so that was nice and quick and nice and short. And so, no matter how terrible it was, we went past it quickly. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I didn't say you, much. Don't ask me to do the songs then. Listen, I just do what I'm asked, Laurie. It's wonderful. Thank you. Uh, for, dance, thank you. monkey, dance. <laughs> Do you know what? I actually said that to a bandmate on stage once. Not dance, monkey dance, and he's never let me forget it. I, I was I was sensing that we needed to get the crowd a bit more, you know, into the zone. There was a solo going on of someone else on the banjo, so I said to the piano player, "Dance, Simon, dance." <laughs> he, Big he, mistake. He's never let me forget it. Yeah, uh, I would, quite quite rightly. Okay, look, here we go. Thank you very much, listeners, for getting in touch. Uh, lots of tweets this week. Here we go. Stephen got in touch with quite a few, Phil, about Detroit. Are you ready? Yes. At Super Betty Bros, saw Detroit this week. Harrowing film. Will Poulter was brilliant in his role. Thought Phil was maybe a tad harsh. The final third of the film didn't seem rushed to me. It felt frustrating and unjust, as it's supposed to. And I get that it's frustrating they can't say it's a true story, but the screen at the end suggests it's only because the police denied it. I don't think this is spoilers, is it? Um, He goes on to say the film was still made from eyewitness accounts, so not sure if that's a plus or a minus one for Phil. I don't know. I think it's interesting. And maybe that's what the whole filmmaker Catherine Bigelow was going for with that whole section of the film. I felt like it was unsatisfying in the sense that it wasn't really dealing with the things that it was saying it was dealing with. So I think it sounds like it's kind of in between for me because I agree slightly with Stephen based on your review, which is that maybe that's the whole point. Maybe they want you to be frustrated that there can never be a resolution because justice was suppressed at the time and successfully you know, pushed down into obscurity. So now we can never know. And how annoying is that, that this super significant event it will forever be a mystery? But you think, therefore, they should have done the film differently? I think it slightly undermines the rest of the film. Okay, got it. All right, Stephen, thanks very much for that. Interesting point of view. And I take it you agree, Phil, with Will Poulter, by the way. Oh, yeah, he was brilliant. He's horrible, but brilliant. There we go. Alistair saw It earlier, Phil. And Ah. uh, he says he's not a horror fan, but this was excellent. Creepy dread, cranked to the max with some grim sequences. Scary. There you go. Maybe you need to crank that Bailey Booze score up a couple of notches. Well, it's interesting, yeah, because that was the thing you said it wasn't. It was scary. But you, I, I assume you would agree with creepy dreads cranked to the max. I think it's creepy, but when, once you figure out, as the film goes on, it becomes less scary. It, do, it just does, because you're more familiar with what's going on. You're more familiar with the rules of this particular monster. And, and yeah, I don't know what it was, but it just didn't quite impact as much as it, it went sounds on. sounds like, honestly, it was just a more interesting story. So the scares took a back seat. That's the best thing about it. When it's got a good story that you care about, that really, you know, it's good. Mm. Rose got in touch at Super Baby Bros. I know what you mean about Goldmember. I thought this was hilarious as a teen, but even listening to those clips in your episode made me cringe. It's funny, isn't it? It's just odd. And Well, no, that's the whole point. It's not that funny anymore, but it was funny. And maybe that's the, the, why comedy isn't really ever held up as a, a as a great cinema because it ages with the times and actually humor is completely to do with the timings There's and a brilliant, what's funny and um uh, catchphrase i can't remember who said it i think our dad told us this one phil that i've been thinking about a lot recently which is that he who is married to the spirit of the age will be a widower in the next got it 
Oh, that is that. deep stuff wow. right there. So, and yeah, very true for comedy. Rose, thank you. Yeah, I agree. Uh, even making that moly, moly, moly joke and laughing at the memory of it, I realised as I was saying it and Phil helpfully pointed out. I'm sorry, me, I wasn't trying to no, like, no, no, judge you because I did right. the same thing. Actually, while I know that isn't what the joke is about, it's still not quite comfortable, is it? So yeah, we're in agreement. Listeners, send us more of those. If you watch an old film that you have great memories of and then when you watch it today, it's like, oh, really? Tell it's us. that awkward smile you make as you sort of think... I remember this being funny, but it's not funny. What's well, and going on? also films that are just not any good anymore. Not necessarily that, you know, disappointingly, oh no, but also ones that just haven't <laughs> stood the test. Uh, the Pixel Bro got in touch. Hi, Pixel Bro. Loving the show, he says, especially the expanded smorgasbord of films one might have missed. I think that's our sixth film, What We've Been Watching Last Week. Mm. I, don't, I think we felt the film showing was quite poor there. <laughs> we just inadvertently watched terrible films. We did six of them. They were like all in the 90s as well. <laughs> yeah. It was really weird. Well, not quite, but yeah. Uh, please keep the name, Super Betty Bros. I would say uh, Pixel Bro doesn't want us to change it either. Uh-uh. Uh, my thoughts are coming in burst at the moment, so here's some and maybe more to come. All right, thanks. Must seen. Ready for this film? Yep. The final scene of The Truman Show with Jim Carrey. Oh, that's a great one. Yeah, one of the best endings to one of my all-time favourite films. After a triumph, Truman sails into the distance, only to discover it isn't the distance. One of the best shots, eeriest appearances of a shadow or use of sound design ever. It we- always takes me by surprise, that moment, when yeah. the, the the bow of the boat, or is it the it stern, I don't know. The, uh, the it wallpaper. Just, and you just, it, somehow the wallpaper is both so apparent and completely like movie magic is just not there it's very good it's brilliant i agree he says we know it's coming yet somehow we share his shock and consternation at what happens i'm trying not to spoil it too much brilliant sound mixing as we can't hear his sobbing or pounding fists that's right it's just the piano motif isn't it Uh, and silent uh, everything else because the suitably understated music swells as he says suddenly we are the audience of the tv show not of the film you forget that you want him to succeed because he's so good to watch, in quotes, as Christoph, Ed Harris in the Moon, later remarks. Suddenly we realise that Christoph slash the divine figure in Truman's world wants to talk to him, and it feels like a private conversation, even though nothing could be less private. That's right, it gets broadcast from the sky, doesn't it? And also, it's entirely for the benefit of the viewer. That's the other thing which is interesting about what he says. He's saying it to Truman, but actually it's nothing to do with Truman at all. Well, there you go, here we go, he carries on. The whole world of the film is watching, and so are all the audience of the film. You sort of know a happy ending might be coming but you suddenly wonder if it will be happy for all this to stop here's a great line in quotes you never had a camera inside my head yeah that's right he says it to himself doesn't he jim carrey's truman mm. you never had a camera in my head an amazing pause christoph is exposed by the game of chicken by demanding his actor not son say something because he's on television then comes an amazing beat of a pause with total silence and an annoying catchphrase becomes the final victory of someone who has struggled a lot Okay, so I don't see you. Good afternoon, good evening, good oh, night. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's good, isn't it? Yeah. Then I always I always love the end of Truman Show for one shot, which has nothing to do with Truman. You know his uh, his lady friend who he never quite got it together with? There's a shot of her running on the stairs to like nice, exciting that's music. That's right. And like the girders and I stuff. always wonder where she's running to. Like, yeah. how does she know where to go? <laughs> like, yeah. But there you go. <laughs> that's a good point, actually. You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, go- he carries on. Then there's the music swell. You get just long enough to realise what's happening. You know the love of his life is running to meet him, as you say, Phil. It's, some, it's burned into my brain that little run down the yeah, stairs yeah it's a great moment and I think maybe it's because of what uh, Pixelbro pulls out next it says cut transmission 
and you're suddenly brought to reality by the two cops asking if anything else is on. So it ends just there. I'm not sure anyone's even come close to its brilliance, uh, even all those countless reality TV slash everyone spying on us films. Ed TV, The Circle, all that sort of yeah, stuff. Yeah, right. It's pl- playing off a of Truman Show, but it's nothing like as good. It's interesting, because I think a lot of people don't think that much of the film. What? And I know, yeah, it's surprising, isn't it? If you go on the internet, I think you'll find a lot of dissenting views. But yeah, I agree with you and the Pixelbro Phil. I think it's very powerful, I um, think they're the vocal minority, to be honest. You though. sort of have to get past Truman, I mean, Jim Carrey and uh, Laura Linney, who are both quite mannered and sort of quite a hard swallow. But that kind of is the point of the film, isn't it? It's all designed to be kind of not very pleasant at the beginning, isn't it? It's a fake reality, isn't it? Yeah. So it's it's not, it, you don't actually like it. That's well, the and point. And there's, there's sort of bits where Jim Carrey breaks down to Ace Ventura, you know, when he's going mad in the car, that sort of thing. So I think it won't be everyone's cup of tea, but if you're willing to go with it, it is powerful. And Ed Harris is really good in that. Mm. I think it's just a great film. Check it out. That's a brilliant little must, must see. It, well, it is. I'm almost tempted. I don't know how this is going to work out in post-production to put some of that music underneath it. Like what, we just give it an do. extra. Well, you know, a bit of pizzazz, Phil, because we <laughs> want to bring people into that moment. And listeners, what a recommendation from the Pixel Bro. Thanks so much. Before we move on, listeners, can we just say, if you've got a one just like that, just like the Pixel Bro has done, a must see, a picture perfect, a one little moment in a film which is just done perfectly and all the little reasons why, send it in. That was a great little example. And we've had two recently. We had Lion King from uh, Sam, wasn't it? And then the Pixel Bro. So if you do get us in a good one ahead of time, we can maybe even make that a proper feature rather than an email feature. Imagine that. Okay, he says, that's all for now. I love the Pixel Bro. Thanks very much for being in touch. And we got one here from Dr. Nick. Dear Super Bailey Bros, I agree entirely with Phil about Julie and Julia. Although Meryl Streep is annoying, she's very engaging, whereas Amy Adams is just annoying. She's so annoying. I'm so <laughs> relieved. Oh, thank you, Doctor. You've been waiting for that, haven't you? I've been waiting, like, genuinely. Yeah. I, was, I didn't want to say it on the air, but I was like, why has nobody confirmed me? <laughs> Uh, and although she goes on I would never cook my way through a cookbook or read a vlog about one I really enjoyed the film I think that means it's a plus one to Phil hey great hey I'm intrigued by it I have to admit I'd sort of consigned it to the nope uh, just watch it again and enjoy Meryl Streep being over the top and ridiculous well I did watch I looked up some clips of Julia Child and yeah wow what a performance she knows what she's doing Mm. it's slightly similar to her thing in Florence Foster Jenkins which I think you saw didn't you no you saw that you watched it but haven't you seen it since no I haven't you haven't watched it I want to watch that one I'd like to know your thoughts Uh, she goes on according to those who know her Meryl Streep's representation of Julia Child was spot on keep up the great work love the show Dr. Nick. Hey, thanks so much. Something I didn't mention in the actual show is the the brilliant way they managed to make her really tall. And uh, Well, Meryl Streep herself. You yeah, mean. Meryl Streep really tall. So Julia Child was apparently a very tall woman. And uh, so they just they just stage it quite well and make Stanley Tucci like, on a lower tiny. point. And yeah, uh. it's just one of those things where they keep on doing it. And there's one scene where you see them all together, full size, and it doesn't quite work as well. The dynamic is slightly off because you see the full height of Meryl Streep and it, she's not That's actually that tall. That's insightful there. A Stanley Tucci man, he's like a magic man. Like he, Whenever he's on the screen, <laughs> he adds dramatic weight to stuff. Isn't that weird? He's got a very adaptable character so it can be sinister, friendly, warm, but he's just, charming, he just smarmy. He's a screen presence and he, he literally adds credibility to a scene. I wonder how he does it. Is it just the skill? I don't, I don't know. I wonder if eventually he'll do something really dramatic and end up with an Oscar or something like that. Probably could earn one pretty easily, yeah. Mm. Alright, well there we go. Listeners, thanks so much. That's everything for this week and you know what it's even more impressive because we're recording this on Tuesday and the podcast only came out on Friday Phil that's because we switched around haven't well, we well this may not have come out on Wednesday that is my perhaps eventual hope I don't really know this is more because we can't do Thursday this week mm. and my schedule might only allow me to get it out on Friday blah blah blah, blah. who honestly cares blah, blah, blah. about this except us nobody <laughs> right let's move on <laughs> thanks guys 
Thanks for the emails. Do email in if you've got any extra thoughts. Superbailybrays at gmail.com or tweet us at Superbailybrays. La 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 la. That's, the wrong <laughs> that's okay. so funny. I was just about no, to. No, you weren't. No, yeah, you I genuinely was oh, like, oh, that's boop, bad. Boop, boop, boop. We spent too much time together, man. Uh, listen, thanks so much for tuning in. That's episode 39 of season two. Uh, when we hit 50, that means we've done 100 episodes, Phil. That means, but then also, that's quite close to when we turn two. So, do we do a special one for the 100 episodes or. Mm, I think 100 episodes is slightly more impressive than two years, isn't it? Hey, what are we going to do for the 100? Well, don't ask that question now. Fortunately, we've still got a few weeks to get it right. Gosh, okay. If <laughs> you've done a best of, I don't think we've got that much more to add. I know. It hasn't uh, been, I feel like uh, the second half hasn't been as good as the I first. don't think that's necessarily true. There have been some highlights. Anyway, look, listeners, thanks so much for tuning in. Let us know your thoughts. If you've been to see it and were scared or not scared, let us know. And especially whether you agree with Phil that it's really more about the kids and their journey into adulthood and all that sort of stuff. If you've been to see Wind River, let me know whether you were as compelled by it as me or whether you found it a bit annoying. And like Phil, you don't like Jeremy Renner so it wrecks it for you <laughs> and give us your thoughts on Fearless which I hope wasn't too mean about and Eastern Promises which does sound intriguing yeah but a little bit violent mm, there we go keep it all coming superbellybros at gmail.com and at superbellybros on Twitter something I didn't mention in the intro which I'll probably bring in next week we've got too much news people don't like change Phil if they told us literally they told us uh, I was thinking what we should do once a month to help us keep up with all the new releases now that we're seeing them after they're out like because this week we were actually kind of lucky that anything new came out at all mm. um, is we should do a themed episode every month because I thought based on last week when it's basically the 90s we should just do that like we should do Oscar best winners yeah or like films of the 80s like Harrison six Ford classic films. 80s films yeah all that sort of stuff we should do that once a month that'd be good I think that's a good idea listeners let us know. if you made it all the way to the end of the show let us know whether you'd be on board with that team and suggest some ideas for themes yes please okay right have a great week listeners we'll speak to you again soon bye 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 well, I've got a little story for you that I came across in the news yesterday. I just, there's something about it that was just kind of perfect. Uh, there's a guy who got arrested. He was on his stag do, and they were near the Hoover Dam. And according to him, he just thought, I'm going to swim across that thing because it's right there, and I fancy a swim. Stag, stag, stag. Yeah, right, yeah. Luckily for him, the turbines weren't on. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, but he got arrested because uh, that's against the law in America. There's something very specific that prohibits... Uh, swimming in dam rivers and stuff presumably because there are turbines that could kill you pretty quickly mm. you know this isn't a fugitive here I mean, oh, <laughs> little film joke uh, but his quote is incredible check this out i don't know i don't even know why i love it so much he's an says, american or british guy i think he must be american if it's in the so it's dam. a bachelor uh, a bachelor party or, or maybe it maybe it is english i don't know but he says this i don't have any regrets i even have a tattoo saying no regrets that's the type of person i am <laughs> Isn't that amazing? That is so funny. I love that. It can't be real. I even have a tattoo saying no regrets. That's just the kind of guy I am. I love that. To be a man like that might be interesting, don't you think? Oh, man. That is funny. No regrets. (laughs) This week, I am reviewing the, I guess it sort of is a remake, maybe a reboot. It's basically Stephen King's a film adaption of Stephen King's novel It and this time it's a big budget a big budget film directed by I don't know <laughs> let me do this again let me start all this again well third time's a charm Phil that's two bonuses that were cut out just there <laughs> no hold on I can't do this either would go. you believe it I tried to do one bonus and there then really go, okay. well now listeners you won't be hearing it now listeners it might surprise you to <laughs> Right, hold on. I'm getting too warm with my stupid gilet. Take off your gilet. It's too warm now, yeah.
listeners thanks so much that's everything for this week everything for the 